Right, <clears throat> we're on. Sorry for taking such a long time to set that up. Um, Not to worry. Back to back uh, podcast episodes. So <laughs> <laughs> the the reason I want to get you on the sh- want to get you on the show is talk about these very not interesting injunctions which I, I'm actually interested in to hear how they work so do you want to start by maybe introducing yourself telling people maybe a bit about how you got into activism and what you're doing now uh, by specializing um yeah sure um so yeah thanks for having me on and wanted to talk about injunctions <laughs> they're not the most fun thing in the world but they're yeah I think they're very important um because yeah it seems to be what it's a new tool in um, protest repression that the authorities seem to be using um so I'm Maya and I'm from Derby in the Midlands and I um I've been involved with Extinction Rebellion and Insulate Britain and Just Stop Oil and um yeah I've this year unfortunately I've been mostly dealing with court cases and injunctions and um because of all, because I was remanded um, last November for the um, the gantries M25 action with just the oil, um, I've got bail conditions and lots of court cases and stuff. So I've mainly been dealing with legal stuff recently, and um, yeah, it also seems to be the year of injunctions where they're coming after us for costs, and also we're also facing some injunction break proceedings. Some of the people have climbed the gantries with just up oil back in November. So um, I'm not a legal expert, but I've kind of fallen into doing this kind of stuff and trying to help out other people on injunctions and trying to kind of mitigate the damage really um, and trying to, yeah, mitigate damage and fight injunctions the best we can. <laughs> God, it's so messed up, are they? Just to clarify, the junctions are a way for governments and companies to basically bankrupt people they don't like yeah um they're basically they can be used for that they're basically private laws so there's um two types of law i guess there's criminal law and civil law so usually when you're arrested for doing like a protest action um it's a criminal case you get arrested by the police and then the cps the crown prosecution service charge you and then you usually go to magistrates or crown court um but and that's a criminal court system and mm. the civil courts um i've only really dealt with the royal courts of justice in london but basically um an organization or an individual can go to a civil court and say i want to buy this law um, here's a law I've got my expensive solicitors to write up so I pay a load of money to the solicitors usually tens or even hundreds of thousands of pounds and then they go to a judge and say can you sign off this law or court order and then they sign it off and then if that if an individual breaks that court order which mm-hmm. is now the injunction then they could face up to two years in prison or an unlimited fine and seizure of assets but what we've also found out um recently um through first-hand experience i think you dealt with this as well for being on the interlake britain injunction is that just being named an injunction even if you don't break the injunction means that they can come after you for the costs 
um because they they will get solicitors to do all the work with the injunction so like drawing up the injunction posting it to you going to court and getting further injunction updates and getting the injunction renewed they'll then come up with a massive bill and then send it to everyone who's named on the injunction so like the people who did insulate britain um like back in the autumn of 2021 um were all put um, well, nearly everyone has put on a, a national highways injunction for sitting on the M25 and um, national highways. And earlier this year, went to went to a judge and said that they want to claim costs of I think it's about half a million off all the people named on the injunction, regardless wow. of whether they broke it or not. Um, and the judge said, OK, he didn't award the full amount, but most people have ended up having to pay. Um, I don't know, somewhere between 1,500 to over 3,000 each. Um, and then the people who did bravely break the injunction, like, you know, the people back in like 2021, some of them broke the injunction to, to sort of deliberately challenge this thing. They've um, they got fined for breaking it, but then they've also had all these additional extra fines added on. Like some of them are in debt, like to like 10 or 15,000 pounds um just to this injunction and, and they're also sometimes facing criminal proceedings as well um so yeah it's like yeah it's really unfair it's basically just wealthy people and wealthy organizations being able to buy laws to so yeah crush dissent um because at the time when insulate britain happens um, the police crime and sentencing sentencing and courts bill. I think I got that right. You know the the policing bill mm. that wasn't in force yet. So um, they they wanted to find a way to sort of punish insulate Britain more than what the law would allow at the time. Because basically we were doing obstruction of the highway, but we were doing it over and over again, and sometimes on motorways. And mm. Um, obviously it really annoyed the authorities because we kept calling out like how much they're failing on the climate crisis and um, yeah you, you know all the interstate Britain messaging and yeah they so they bought this injunction um, because they wanted to come down harder than the laws at the time would allow and then that's also why they then pursued us for public nuisance in the criminal courts which and public nuisance, the charge that a lot of Inchlake Britain people got was, um, I think it's the old type of public nuisance, like before yeah. the police and crime sentencing bill, where it had like an unlimited prison sentence, an unlimited fine. Um, so they chose that instead of obstruction of a highway, which the old version had a, a maximum of a thousand pound fine. And also obstruction of the highway, you were able to defend yourself using... Um, like article 10 and 11 from the European Convention of Human Rights, which is like basically the right to protest. You could use that as a defense. But as we've, as we've seen with a lot of Inchlake Britain public nuisance cases. I've, I've experienced mass firsthand as well, yeah. Yeah, Silas Reed like saying, no, you're not allowed to talk about why you did it. <laughs> so you can't talk, mention climate change or fuel poverty. Um, and yeah, I'm not so... gonna lie, I'm not gonna lie. Beef. Going through court on tag and dealing with that kind of repression made me want to just drive a bulldozer through the building. Obviously, I'm not going to do that because, you know, I'm a non-violent person. But that's how it makes you feel, dealing with those people in those courts, personally, for me. Mm. No, I, um, 
yeah I do empathize it's incredibly frustrating it's like you're up up against this like bureaucratic soulless monster of a machine that um just is so focused on these like quite arbitrary rules but doesn't seem to care you know about the the laws of physics which are you know unfolding with the climate crisis and they pretend that <laughs> the they care oh, yeah and they they don't care about like they care so much about the disruption and they talk about harm and risk like that could happen for our protest actions while completely ignoring the risk of like pumping tens and or even hundreds of thousands of tons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and allowing global heating to continue like what about the risk of that and what about the harm that climate breakdown is causing right now and then yeah, they just, the judges there. just ignore it and then they just um and then they, now they want to silence us and not let us say things in front of a jury. Another thing about injunctions is because it's in the high court, um, it'll just be a judge which makes a decision about whether you broke the injunction or not. They don't really care about any defences you have to say. So you can say why you did it. You can say why you protested. The judge will just ignore it. And there's no jury. So it, it's just a, like, did you do the thing or not that the injunction forbid? forbade i'm not sure the grammar and mm -hmm. then they um, decide to give you a massive fine or send you to prison so yeah i sympathize yeah, I with the the bulldozer feelings <laughs> god damn like upon hearing that like god i i, I can't incriminate myself on this show so i have to be careful what i say i'm on tag um So we've had to sign, I've had to sign, I think of like two or three undertakings now, these injunctions, mm -hmm. to be taken off costs. Have you been working with that kind of, it's like, so we've been like, basically, do you want to explain what the undertakings are and what we've been having to sign? Yeah, so, um, yeah, we. I feel a bit silly for not realising this until this year, but basically before we just sort of all ignored the injunction papers because the thinking was that um, if you got put onto injunction, like as long as you don't break it, there's nothing to worry about. But now we realise they can come after you for costs of just being on the injunction. So now um, uh, it's we realise that the advice is like if you go on the green and black cross green and black cross website, which kind of gives like protest advice. It's, the advice is to try and get off an injunction as soon as possible to stop costs accumulating and the only way you can do that really is by offering an undertaking or proving that you shouldn't have been on the injunction in the first place like if it was a wrongful arrest or something like that but an undertaking is basically like um you promise to the court that you won't do what the injunction says so the injunction wow. I know there's lots of different injunctions out there, but there's some which are like you can't protest at oil terminals, um, you can't protest at petrol stations, you you can't um, protest on certain roads. Um, I think HS2 also has an injunction, which um, is like you can't protest at, along all of the HS2 line and you can't obstruct any of the HS2 construction. Um, so, yeah, there's all sorts of things, whatever the company or organization wants to prohibit they'll find a way to do them and injunctions have been used against um like gypsy roma traveler communities a lot as well and they're not new things like i think they were used in the roads protests in the 90s i've heard a lot of the 
the peace and so the peace movement has faced them as well um but yeah undertakings are basically you you sign this thing saying you promise you won't um break the injunction and then you you get taken off it but um it's not a comfortable yeah it's not a comfortable thing to do because you, you feel like you're signing away like your right to protest like um like with so she with the 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 um, like the so she with the road ones like the transport for london ones especially because like some like some a lot of the people who have done roadblocks in london um when they go to court they if they use like the zeigler defense if they're charged with willful obstruction they get um they might be acquitted like you, it might turns out turn out that your protest was lawful because you had a right to protest because mm-hmm. when you protest on a road in the eyes of the law like it's you're always weighing up like your right to protest against the rights of the people to use the road so it's a balancing act of those rights but these injunctions which say you cannot protest on this road basically remove that right completely um and there's no consideration about weighing up of rights against the people to protest against the people to use the roads there's no way you can be acquitted so by signing these injunctions to come off like especially the transport for london one saying you're not going to protest on certain roads in london you just have to sign away your right to protest on these roads otherwise you could face thousands of pounds in costs just for being named on the injunction and you're not you, you might not even break it like it's a really insidious um like unpleasant side of the law which i think is just being used and abused to repress protest and yeah it's it's incredibly difficult to fight because like some of us including myself had gone to the court hearings to try and argue like against the injunctions to say like this injunction shouldn't be continued and these are rights to protest and this is why it's unnecessary because you also have all these criminal laws and the judges always ignore us and always side with the the claimant who has the deepest pockets and also judges are pretty establishment anyway like they're probably not going to side with um protesters engaging in civil disobedience but yeah so we've gone there and tried to argue and they just sort of ignore you and grant the injunction anyway and if you wanted to try and resist the injunction like some people have then um like you'll just end up facing massive costs potentially prison and or bailiffs coming around sorry bailiffs coming around to your house yeah so it's just um yeah i think the only way you could possibly like resist injunctions is if you're like I've heard of people who, like live in radical poverty, like some activists like live in radical poverty yeah, where they deliberately, yeah, like getting rid of all your stuff and like living in, yeah, not owning a house. I guess you'd live shared accommodation somewhere and just not have anything. I need, I need a bike. I need my bike. I need my laptop. I need my phone. Like other than that, you know, you take everything else. But yeah, I can't do my podcast without my laptop, and I can't. I need, I can't get to work without my bike. Yeah. Well, if you say that they're not actually yours, you know, like if you sell them to someone for like one pence, but then like you continue using like your friend's stuff, then the bailiffs won't be able to take them because, you know, it's the person that you sold them to stuff. So it's not for the bailiffs to take. So that could be a workaround with the things that you do need. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't mean. Um, mm. I mean, I've got receipts for my stuff. I could just give it to my brother. <laughs> Is it here with the receipts? Yeah. 
Yeah, there might be a workaround. Though we haven't seen bailiffs um, go after anyone yet. Um, Oh, they're getting close to me. are I've, they? yeah, because I've, I've got court fines. I've not been paying them like Oh, a long time. I've just is this been, a criminal one or? yeah, criminal. I've just been neglecting them, to be honest. It's been my, my fault for being neglectful on my uh, paperwork and posts. But I've now, I, I owe them like two and a half grand or something. So I've now started, I've, I've now set up payment for like £80 a week. Yeah. Ah. Oh, sorry to hear that. Yeah, um, sorry, I'm going to apply to CASP actually, see if I can get help with it. But I'm, I've been considering the radical poverty part, like living on a commune. Like, I, I actually think, I, I, I don't want to, an idea that popped to mind when you were talking about all these things and then radical poverty. What if we could build a support, a financial support network based in decentralized, un. seizable cryptocurrency like people who who are going the radical poverty line can have assets in crypto without the government being able to do anything about it Hmm. Yeah, I think um, if you like stated that publicly, then <laughs> no it's, I think they it's might they certain might try they might figure out that you got assets. So yeah but um... there's there's certain there's certain cryptocurrencies that are untraceable like they cannot they like they're in a Oh, realm okay. of their own that cannot be seized Yeah, or all like, linked to you like it's like yeah. because it's a kind of it's it's the government's worst nightmare basically Yeah, I have heard a little bit about that with cryptocurrency. There's a guy um, who's in my in XR Derby who is really into cryptocurrency and was like um, advocating for it as a yeah a way like decentralized money would also be helpful in tackling some of the problems of centralized money, especially around investment. You know, like how a lot of centralized money is like invested in you know things which are bad for the climate and ecosystems and people but um yeah but then there's also someone else who is like really against crypto because Mm hmm of all the energy that goes into the the mining Mm hmm so to be honest i haven't researched it enough yeah. Mm but hmm. i've Yeah. heard I don't. I don't. I don't i've heard know about some that arguments either. on both sides I don't know if my, I, I'm not an no expert either. I can't really talk to yeah it. though i have heard of um uh oh, what do you call it mutual aid mutual aid networks like um you know like during covid Like when it the first lockdown and stuff, there was a lot of mutual aid groups that popped up, and I've heard lots of people talk about like mutual aid networks are a good way to support, um, you know, people who are going to activism and facing a lot of, you know, um, legal consequences and financial consequences. You know, like when you just would help people out with like if someone needs somewhere to stay or people need food, it's like people just kind of help each other out. So, I think it's really nice to experience that, to be honest. You know, when I go down to court and I, you just stay at someone's house and, like, you know, people help it. It's, I experience that when I'm going down to court. I'm going down to London as well. It's really quite amazing. Um, when, I'm up here yeah. in, when I'm up here in Manchester, um, I can't, like, really... Well, I don't really, I'm not really around the people who are like, part of the movement. I mean, I see them occasionally. But when I was going down to court... It, going down to London and I was staying with strangers like the, the kindness of strangers like they you know supporting climate activists is so refreshing um Yeah, so yeah, refreshing it's really to lovely.
like yeah i've stayed at a couple of like it's a yeah it's like a rebel hotel or like a like a yeah or cast proof network but these really kind lovely people just say like yeah um an activist can stay in my house and yeah they just put up strangers it's like um like a free airbnb type thing and you meet some really nice people and yeah yeah like that kind of thing that's like mutual aid and um yeah supporting because otherwise like I've heard of some people who didn't use that and like would go to London for a week in court and they'd have to pay like over a thousand in hotel costs or something mm -hmm. or like have to travel back and forth each day and it's like a lot of costs I've always managed to get like a well I've always had like well since I started my protest and I made some very good friendships in London I've always been able to ask my friends like if I was willing to stay I was willing to stay in London <laughs> Oh, and luckily, I've never had to, I've never had to pay for a night in London. Oh, like, that's good. Like ever. <laughs> <laughs> and I spent a lot of nights there. Like, um, yeah. So, is there anything else about these injunctions? Like, how are we going to fight them? I'm not. Um, yeah, that's something I've been thinking about a lot. There is some. Um, I think there are some people trying to look into injunction resistance. Like, um, I I mean, there were the people last year. Do you remember the 51 people who went to prison all at once? I was supposed to be part of them. Oh, but you were already oh. in prison. I was already in prison. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the Kingsbury action. I mean, that was brilliant because um, like, that was an injunction mm -hmm. which was taken out by North Warwickshire Council to protect um, like the the interests of an oil terminal because uh, they didn't want protesters there disrupting their profits um so yeah this injunction was bought by the council and i think when they first took it out i think some people got sent to prison for basically standing on a grass verge yeah. like they were just standing on a grass verge with a sign outside the oil terminal in kingsbury and then i suppose technically they went to prison because um, I think they refused to go to court or they broke a court order. But I think, well, the, well, the I reason they were... I remember this one quite exactly. The, yeah. the injunction, they give it like two metres back off the fence. So they included the grass verge in the injunction where they were allowed to protest. So they decided to push it by standing inside the line of the injunction but outside the line of the oil terminal to see if they could get arrested for protesting on the side of the verge. And did yeah. they? Ah, yeah. oh, and then that resulted in them being remanded because I think then they defied court or something. I can't remember. I'd have to ask them. But I mean, that That's was just cool shocking. People. Yeah, it was really good. That was a really good way to challenge the injunction because it's like drawing attention to how ridiculous and unjust it is. Um, and then like later that year, like 51 people went to Kingsbury and did the same thing again. Um, I think they, I think they just blocked one entrance so it wasn't it wasn't even shutting the terminal down they just protested at one entrance and just all sat there and then they all got arrested and yeah. remanded yeah, let's say i've got some interesting stories about kingsborough Oil terminal oh yeah yeah broke into it twice <laughs> <laughs> it was an absolute laugh on it it was so much fun <laughs> uh, you know i'm not going to tell i want I, I to tell you briefly a, a bit of a story I'm not gonna tell you because it's the full story because it's quite long. Basically, me and a me and a just a pal person, they did 
furniture they'd arrest because we, we missed the police by a few minutes and basically what happened is our friends got arrested and taken away and I was turned I turned up in a car because I was like getting some supplies and there was a police officer walking over towards my car uh, whilst I pulled up and there's a she's called I can't name her because that's cruel a, a police officer had arrested me several times before was coming towards my car so I was like starting my car and driving around her and she goes Josh can I talk to you for a second? And I'm driving around very slowly. And I go, depends, I'm under arrest. And she goes, yeah. And I went, sorry, I didn't hear that. Oh, shot off and drove away. And uh, we anyway, anyway long, very, very long story short, we ditched the car, went on foot, went through like miles of farmland, got an Uber halfway there, got, got into a takeaway to get some water, got questioned by a police officer, in the takeaway about who we were and what we're doing there. And then whilst he was sat in his car, we managed to like get away into get out around the back of the takeaway and escape and hide from police. And anyway, long story short, we broke into their old terminal with two people because we oh. were going to be arrested anyway. And we thought we might as well break into the <laughs> old terminal and shut it down again. So we did. And we ended up on the roof of the old terminal with a helicopter overhead, like jumping, like going, way, like it's took the helicopter. Um, yeah, I've already told that full story on there anyway. But, <laughs> but can you tell us, um, you was in Insulate Britain, wasn't you? Yeah, yeah, I was. I was. Um, some of your experiences in Insulate Britain? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I, yeah, I signed up for it um like to be in the first wave mm -hmm. um i signed up because i um i was in a i was quite involved with extinction rebellion i'd only been arrested twice with xr and i went to one of the talks for insulate britain and this crazy idea of trying to get a few hundred people in prison in the lead up to cop 26 to try and embarrass the uk government and i think when i signed up i didn't even know what the demand was <laughs> like and then it was revealed that it was insulation but it was just like I just felt like we had to try something different and radical mm -hmm. so I knew it would be blocking motorways and I knew that it would be trying to go to prison in the lead up to COP and um, I think I just had one of those days I was like really angry with politicians and like how they're just making the completely wrong kind of decisions which just completely defy all the scientific advice as usual and I, I just thought, fuck it, I'm just going to sign up for this. And um, I was so scared, like, before doing it Slate Britain. I mean, like, I was scared of going on the motorway and, um, and I was scared about going to prison. But, like, I was more scared about the climate crisis and mm -hmm. I didn't really want to, like, look at look back in a few years' time and think, did I really try everything I could? Um so, yeah, so doing Internet Britain was like really emotional because I'd not done anything. I think it was the scariest thing I did in my life. Um, oh my <laughs> like, and I did the. Guess that was Inside Britain your first lot of actions? No, I'd been arrested with Extinction Rebellion twice before. Um, and I'd done like, uh, I think I'd done some stuff with Stop HS2 where I didn't get arrested, but I stopped some trees being felled. So I'd done like a fair amount of stuff. It but was not... a big step up. Yeah. Insulate yeah. like Britain was, was a big step up from that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think this, maybe the spiciest thing I'd done before was like helping to blockade an arms, an arms factory. 
um but I didn't get arrested for that because I was doing media but yeah and then so yeah I I only did interstate Britain for two weeks because I booked time off work to do it and I, I booked time off hoping that that would cover like you know the time to do interstate Britain plus time on remand and then once I realized it didn't look like we we're getting remanded I um yeah I went back to work and also like I got really ill because mm. like I wasn't sleeping much doing interstate mm. Britain because of all the you know the the drama yeah. of like going on the roads, being in police cells, coming off again and that I, kind of I, stuff. I, I got a really good rhythm going with that, you know. I uh, I, I saw Insert Britain through to its last block. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, from the start to the end, it was amazing. Oh, well done. Um, <laughs> well, it's just, I, I so the way I got it figured was, is um, the night for an action, I would stay awake like till like two, three in the morning. And then we'd be up for like five, six in the morning for going out for action. So I'd be absolutely exhausted. And then we'd do the action, I'd sit on the road, get arrested, get to the police cell. And that's what I was looking forward to, the police cell, because I, I couldn't wait for the police cell. Because sitting to the police cell, I'd say, oh, I'm cold, give me a jumper, tie it around my head, and fall asleep. Sleep for like 18 <laughs> hours, you know, like pretty easily. Wake up, yeah. fully rested. <laughs> it took me quite a while before I could sleep in police cells because like um like I was you know there's like a lot of adrenaline and um and also it takes a while to get used to like how to be comfy in them mm. you know like the tricks with like getting yeah. something to cover your eyes like I'd yeah. always make sure I wore a hoodie so I could cover my eyes and but yeah the last few times I've been arrested like I just sort of slept most of the time so it's weird what you can get used to I'm telling you the biggest trick is tell them you're cold ask for a jumper roll the jumper up into like a bit of a sausage and tie it around your head that to yeah. like tie it around to see i've got, got the knot on the front to go around twice and uh, that works as a pillow and it stops your ears like clogging to the pit to the thing as well oh uh, it's a good idea well maybe uh, if i get arrested again I'll... <laughs> in, in in prison um a lot of oh. us used socks or some women even use sanitary pads as like an eye mask to, like to block out <laughs> the lights did you not turn the like, lights off in your cell? Well, um, they could be turned off, but the curtains were like really, really thin, and then there were like floodlights outside. Like, well, sometimes they just weren't weren't curtains because you know at prisons like yeah, I'm not um, like... yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, like people who are sensitive to light would. There's one woman who said that she like had a sanitary pad over her eyes and tampons in her ears, like to keep the earplugs. Sanitary products to the to the rescue. Yeah. Some people use them as like coat hangers and stuff because you can stick them to the walls and stuff and hang things up. You know, like, oh. and then there was the toothpaste trick, like, that's oh, well known, isn't it? Yeah, the, the toothpaste trick is well known, but the next level up from that is the coffee whitener. You know about the coffee whitener? Oh, yeah. I think, um, yeah, someone told me about that. They're using it to make like paper mache stuff. So, like, you use it like glue. The, the toothpaste the toothpaste works really well for putting pictures up but if something's not sticking uh, you need to be stickier so add a little bit of water to the to the to the mitts of the whitener it basically turns to super glue yeah well not not that well you know it never goes rock hard but it's very very sticky shit yeah i don't think um yeah i didn't use that in prison i mean yeah i would give all my sort of whitener away because i was vegan so i got mm. like the Eventually, after a few weeks, I got like the vegan, like the soya milk sent in. How did you survive being vegan in prison? Um, it 
wasn't that bad. Like, I don't know if you actually you were in Peterborough as well. Yeah. I was on the female side of Peterborough, and um, they had like the menu thing. You could select what food you wanted on the kiosk, yeah, and they always had one vegan option. So it was easy to choose. I just used the one I could have. And then I think after a few weeks, I kept pestering the staff, just saying like, I'm vegan and I don't want to end up with nutrient deficiencies. Can I like have soya milk and some protein and stuff like that? And eventually gave me some... I think I'm, it's lucky because I'm not really a fussy eater. Like, um, I don't think prison food was that bad. Um, Can I tell you but... my experience about this? The same thing. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so I, I was like, I, I joined in. I was like, I joined. I, my my thing to the environmental movement was like almost instant. Like, find out about the climate mm-hmm. crisis and joining was almost, was what was within a very short space of time uh, for me. And I was, so I was still eating meat during Insulate Britain. Like I'd not managed to change my eating habits yet. And I was just, oh, that's all right. I, I was, I was transitioning, I transitioned to like vegetarian and I'm making it work and I'm getting close to going vegan. And then I got sent to prison and I tried going vegan for like three weeks. And I think on the third week I was sat there, like I, I'm, I'm used to eating meat. I'm sat there, my, my cellmate, I'm sat there with like a soggy salad or some of the shit they give them. Uh, whatever it is, it's really shit food. And my mate's like, my cellmate's got like a fish and chips, like a battered fish and chips. And I'm like, oh, fucker. <laughs> and I, they, they broke me. They broke me. I started getting meat again. I was like, fucking, I'm eating meat and pregnant because fucking this food's shit. Oh, it, I mean, I've been vegan. I mean, I don't want to minimize like individual lifestyle changes, but also we know that we need systemic change don't we yeah. i mean i've been vegan most of my life because my mum's vegan and um like in my lifetime uh the amount of animals killed and eaten for meat has only risen so me being vegan almost my entire life hasn't actually made like a difference to the system um i mean i'm mainly vegan but for ethical reasons you know like because mm-hmm. i love animals and i don't want to have anything to do with that but i'm also not going to go around um judging people i mean you're in prison for climate activism not gonna then say you need to be doing more you need to <laughs> yeah no, this isn't what enough that's what i think that's what i figured right like i'm doing my part already yeah so good yeah i mean there was no recycling in my prison so i had to like put Guys. like a metal can in the general waste and i was feeling bad and i was like why am i feeling bad about this when i'm like sat in prison for climate activism <laughs> I'm all right. Um, so I don't, I'm not asking everybody to stop eating meat. I'm saying it should be illegal to produce meat in a factory farm, mass-produced, ecological, destructive manner. Therefore, the only solution is, the only way to produce, like, for one, I think we should end the animal agricultural industry as it exists today. Two, Use all that land that's still growing all that all those that food to feed those animals. We continue we subsidize that land, continually growing as much product as it is doing to create healthy vegan food and then provide it for free to every single citizen in the country. Like we can feed, mm. we can feed all these cows, we can just transition to feeding people for nothing if they want to eat free vegan food. And then if you want to I, I, I think we like you should still allow meat, 
it's got to be a sustainable level that the ecosystem can sustain and then I thought it would be very expensive if you want to buy a turkey for Christmas you might have to pay like 200, 300, 400 quid to get your turkey because there's not many of them Hmm. And it's, and it, would, it would be a special occasion that you know you can't afford well the rich would thing is rich people would just still eat fucking shit tons of it because they can afford it but I yeah I think it's worth reading that George Monbiot book I think it's called Regenesis so I think he's done all basically all the calculations around like how much land like is is given currently given over to animal agriculture plus all the feed that we use for animals how much land we need to feed everyone plus the expected population growth and then how much land we need to give give back to nature you know to do all the nature restoration and carbon sequestration stuff that has to happen to restore the climate as much as we can and i think his conclusions are basically there's no space for any animal agriculture and we can but with the way technology is going it looks like we'll be able to synthetically make proteins and um Yes, yeah I've like started, synthetic I've been following meats that. are coming along quite well so um i because um like i don't want to really get the thing is i've spent most of my life vegan and i've realized i feel very strongly about not harming other other living things or trying to minimize the harm you cause to other living things so I don't think most people in the world need to eat meat and we can get into debates about like what if you were stuck on an island in a with a chicken and you needed to decide if you need to survive and stuff like that but most people like don't need to eat meat to survive and I think um, yeah trying to build like a food system and agricultural system which meets everyone's needs while minimizing the harm caused to other forms of life would be the ideal goal it should be the most ethical thing to do but also i've realized that um like because i've been vegan most of my life and had lots of discussions like this um not everyone feels the same way i do about animals and some people think it's natural to um eat animals because other animals eat each other and um yeah people have very different opinions on this <laughs> I I see I um I I I I'm kind of um, I I believe it's okay to like I I feel it's okay for human beings to occasionally eat animals, but I'm considering human beings like ten thousand years ago when there was very few of us. We were like living a very nomad lifestyle, and then occasionally you would might eat meat to give you a little boost in protein or whatever it's is. a different ethical You had situation because um it is my, like my we probably is did need to do it to survive well now, but but now it's it it's now it's more of a we've like industrialized it so much that it is poisoning. It is literally poisoning <laughs> our rivers and and creating dead zones around like. where rivers enter into oceans because there's that much sewage from the animals that mm. it's just like just kills basically everything in the area and Yeah. you know producing a shit ton of methane like one third of the output of emissions is attributed to the methane of the meat industry Mm -hmm. And all the deforestation and yeah ecosystem destruction that happens for yeah mainly grazing land or crops to feed animals. Um, it's, it's yeah, just the industrial animal agriculture is just, yeah, it's environmentally harmful and it's a huge amount of suffering for those poor animals, which. to spend most of their lives in like a confined space are basically tortured and until 
and eventually slaughtered for their flesh. You know what made it sinking for me? Is uh, this is on a D the David Attenborough uh, documentary that released probably over a year, over a year ago now. Um, so the Breaking Boundaries one? No, no, the doc uh, David Attenborough one. He did he did a he did a climate one basically about the Earth, and he said that if you got all of the uh, animals, not including bacteria, but all of the animals in the world, and you put them on a scale, and you weighed like the actual biomass of them, I think it was something daft like sixty percent. Um, of all of those, well, I think it's like it's like 66 percent of all the animals, like two thirds of all the, that weight, would be cows and chickens. Mm. All the animals on Earth, like all the elephants and whales and fish and everything. I think I remember so, this, and only four percent is wildlife or something, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah, that's right. So it's like thirty percent would be humans, and then four percent would be the rest of the living world. Yeah, like if aliens came to Earth and looked at that, they'd be like what is going on here like why have you got so many of these and then so few of all these other things i think they'd look at if aliens did come here and look at us they would so we study it there's a bacteria that when you put it in a petri dish of like food and it'll grow and expand and it'll create toxins and it'll continue to do that until it create until it like turns the environment too toxic for it to survive and kill itself and it'll do it every single time the very the basic organism and mm. maybe we're just doing that maybe we're just too much of a basic organism to you know get our shit together and step it up into the next level of intelligent civilizations yeah have you seen that chris packham documentary the one about the um, history of earth oh, um, i've not what's it tell me about it oh it's worth watching it, it basically shows like how um life has changed the planet drastically before you know like when plants first evolved and they started to do photosynthesis they drastically changed the planet because they drew carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and put oxygen into the atmosphere so i think that caused like a global cooling event and i think yeah there's been yeah basically like life on earth has changed the planet before and um mm -hmm. sometimes in a catastrophic way which has wiped out a lot of life and then other times there's been like um planetary things going on or meteorites or you know things like volcanoes which have caused massive changes to life but yeah it, um humans seem to be like yeah causing these massive planetary changes again um but anyway, the it's the first time like a species has known what they've what they're doing <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's so interesting. We know what we're doing. And we can Yeah. But I, God, you know, I've said this a few times before I was a climate activist, many years before, I considered myself like a transhumanist. I was somebody who believed in the potential of the human race, you know, the birth of AI, you know, all the, the think about the human potential of the human race minus the climate crisis, right? Like the the sky is our limit. We could we could conquer the we could conquer the entire sort yeah. of galaxy. Like happy sci-fi stuff. Probably like... yeah, sci-fi stuff. Yeah, because we're building, getting better at the rockets and all that kind of stuff, and all the rest of it. Eventually, I think we'd get there. But we're yeah. on, right now we're on one planet, and it's all we've got. It's it's you know it's our it's our only spaceship, and we're putting holes in it. <laughs> Guys, come on, sort our shit out, please. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, 
Yeah, I think it's um, I, th I think it's when humans became a bit too separated from nature culturally. Like I think, um, although the industrial revolution did lots of positive things to humanity, you know, like advances in medicine and and technology and like um solving famine. Yeah, there's like I I think the industrial revolution still brought lots of positives, but. I think it also separated humans from nature. Like they kind of thought, like we can conquer nature. Our technology um, means we can, yeah, we can conquer it, and like it's there for us to use and exploit, and not really. And then starting to think of humans as separate who, um, ecosystems. Imagine if our civilization in, in the 18th century decided to like have the industrial revolution and then also start and the climate crisis like 150 years earlier. But like, if the climate crisis happened earlier. Well, well no, it, like, they, they predicted the climate crisis. Like, like they were scientists that they were. I, I can't remember how far it goes back, but they were they were scientists that theorized that like putting carbon into the atmosphere will cause heating. Mm, I remember seeing that article. Yeah, because they knew carbon dioxide was a heat trapping gas, and mm -hmm. yeah, we're burning a lot of fossil fuels, which released it. So yeah, the they problem, predicted it. The problem with those times is. People felt so small, and the world felt so big. You know, they, they mm. never they never imagined that they could they could pull all the fish out of the oceans, or the world was just too big for them to actually have any effect on. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I read this thing that said that when people first arrived in Canada in the United States, it was like abundant in so many species, like in all these birds and salmon and like forests for as far as the eye could see so it felt like they could just go there and like extract it and like use it sell it and it would just last forever but once you um like start taking things out of an ecosystem faster than they can replenish then you end up causing extinctions and then you don't have any trees you don't have any fish and like the yeah, species go extinct so yeah it's um yeah, it's just the wrong kind of mentality. Like, it's just too extractive. Well, that's the world thing is, like, you think about the history of humanity on Earth. We said we would have started with a small number. Like, when we've got 8 billion people right now, imagine when there was less than 1 billion, or let's say there was less than 500 million people in the world, you could live like that because your, your species haven't gotten to a size where it was so dominating yet i mean mm. i mean I, I mean sorry go, go on yes. oh with the um the population thing it's more to do with the consumption levels so it's like how much each person how many resources each person uses or what their pollution footprint is so yeah it's it is possible for the earth to support like eight billion people but not if they all live like um people do in europe and the usa and australia and japan and and things like that but um not at those kind of consumption rates because it's we don't have enough planet earths and resources to meet that but the numbers of people in themselves like wouldn't be a problem if people didn't consume too much or pollute too much i think we're going to level out about um 10 billion or 11 10 or 11 12 billion something like that but um I think we should, if we if we end the animal agricultural industry and get smart, we can feed we can see we can feed twelve million people on a surplus, and 
We could feed people for free. We could just national like we need to put aside these ideas of countries and start acting as one planet. You know? I don't know how we're gonna do that. Somebody else will come up with the idea. Ideas hopefully. Maybe I'll have them on the podcast, which would be pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but um Yeah, the time is now to sort this shit out really, in my opinion. Time is right now. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not going to say now or never, it's got to be like, it's always got to be now, but the, the longer you leave it, the more people are going to die. Yeah. I really do hope humanity can, I guess, just sort its shit out. But um, I don't know if I spend too much time on Twitter, I end up losing hope <laughs> quite quickly. <laughs> it's oh. like people can't even agree on like the climate crisis being real sometimes. It's, yeah. I know I've had that discussion today. Oh really? In what in world. person with someone? Yeah, in person, yeah, yeah. Oh, tell you what though, like, I I feel like I don't know where I, what place I'm at right now, but I'm gonna seriously. So, right, okay, I'm not talked about this in the podcast yet, and I should should have done. Have you heard about the Shambhala warrior? No. Have you heard about uh, anything to do with the Shambhala warriors? No, or um, the Shambhala warrior prophecy. Uh, no, I'm afraid I haven't heard anything okay. about that. Um, well, where to start with this one then, basically? Um, it, <laughs> sorry, uh, it's, it's, somebody, it's somebody, something somebody sent me whilst I was in prison, and basically there's a. Um, no, I, I, I feel like I shouldn't be talking about this on the podcast without actually, like, referencing it. So I'm going to have to, like, drop a link in the description below, which I will do later on. Uh, it was a prophecy in, in Buddhism about, like, um, I don't feel like I'm going to, to remember to recall this right now. But basically, as the world um, comes to, I, basically, I'm going to cut this bit out because... My memory's failing, mate. I'm on second podcast. I'm on the second beer. So, um... And it's all right. It's all right. It, it does ring a bell. I think someone's mentioned it, but I wouldn't be able to say what it is. Yeah. I, 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 was, about, I, was, I was about to, anyway. But um, there's, a, there's one line that I take from it, which is, um, when the world is like its most... When, the, when all of life and her... Oh, when all of when all of life on Earth is hanging by hanging by a single thread, the uh, king kingdom of Shambhala will emerge, and it is not a place you cannot go there. The kingdom of Shambhala exists only in the minds of the Shambhala warriors, and the idea is that when the Earth is my most crucial point of of losing everything. The Shambhala warriors will emerge. These people who will make such huge sacrifices that will they'll cause like a global awakening and protect life on Earth. Mm. And that is that is a that is a, um, a thing. It is a prophecy within Buddhism, and it's like like twelve hundred years old. And uh, Joanna Maisy has done some good work with it. Like if you look on YouTube, um, Shambhala warrior mind training Jenna. Um, if you look it up anyway, it's really good, really powerful stuff. And um, I guess the point I'm trying to make with that is, when I came out of prison, I was, I was 
pushing myself hard doing like runs like 5k 6k 7k sometimes 10k and what i'd do is i'd smoke i'd, I'd occasionally i'd smoke i'd smoke cannabis and then do a ten, like run 10k whilst okay. high and like <laughs> it, it, it it was it was like the pushing myself through like to a discipline. It, it was making me think and like I don't know like it get more creative as well because I'm going through the hardship of jogging. And I had this deep realization that like when I was in prison and I was feeling like I had faith that I was going to change the world, and I felt so fucking empowered. And I was releasing speeches. I, I what I realized was when I was in that mindset where it, it was like rocket fuel. Um, that was the kingdom of Shambhala. It's, it is a mm. place that you cannot go to, um, but it exists in the minds of the Shambhala warriors. And what I realized in that moment is I need to get more people to this place that I'm not even in right now. Like when I was in prison, I was I was I had faith that I had I had faith that we were are going to change the motherfucking world and right all the wrongs and. Faith is so much more powerful than, than hope because when you're feeling when you have hope, when you're hoping that we can solve this and hoping that you can do things, it can easily turn to hopelessness. But if you ask a priest, because uh, I'm an atheist, but if you ask a priest, right, a definition of faith, like, do you hope that God is real? You'd say, no, I know that God is real. He believes it in his core. He just knows it to be truth. And, um, yeah, sorry, yeah. I'm going to around. Does that make any sense to you? No, it does. It does. I um, don't think I feel entirely the same, but I do appreciate, yeah, I do understand how it gives you strength. Um, I think, yeah, because you need some kind of motivation to keep going. And because mm -hmm. I know so many people who like fall into despair and go, oh, there's, there's no point. We're not going to be, able the climate crisis is already so bad and there's no point. We can't do anything now. And, um, I feel like I have a, I guess I'm acting more of a sense of moral duty. And also like even like th there's always something worth saving. Like even if we hit 1.5 degrees, we could stop getting to 1.6 degrees. We can I still wanna, save so many more species things. and people. I want, yeah, I, I agree with you. I've repeated myself on this podcast. <laughs> We could billions of people who are currently living where they will not be able to live in decades from now. Just to being a bit proactive and getting those people moved mm. to places where they will be able to live decades from now, and evac and evacuating, evacuating India and Africa and everywhere that's going to get fucked early mm. to save billions of lives. So even if we sort even in this tipping points, we can still save billions. Exactly, of lives. there's still more thing there's always something that can be done and it's tragic that we've reached a point where it is just saving what we can but like if you just give up then you're just allowing more to be lost and more suffering and more death so i guess there's always something worth like acting for and fighting for so that's what that's what keeps me going i mean and also the hope that someday we'll have a climate cell Nuremberg trial for the people responsible for causing this. Well, they'll be dead. <laughs> they'll, be, they'll, they'll die of old age. Um, but oh. the people who caused it, if we have like a climate Nuremberg trial. Well, it depends when we have the when we have the trial. You know, if we have it for 20, 30 years from now, the people who made decisions in Exxon in the eighties will be gone. Mm. I think um people are pushing for it now. You know, like with well. You know the work that Jonathan Fuller's doing, climate genocide, Act Now, like mm -hmm. 
Um, have you heard about that? Um, no, but tell me more. Um, so basically in 2019, Climate Genocide Act Now, which is like a group, went to the Metropolitan Police with a dossier of evidence on, um, I've heard about this. yeah, the, um, I think it was prime ministers or well, let's just say politicians who were they said were guilty of crimes against humanity for making policy decisions which have increased carbon emissions and therefore led to the deaths of people. And there is there's so much science to show that like carbon emissions um, are linked to deaths um, through like various climate impacts. But you, the main one you can just focus on is heat, like because we know that if you put this much carbon into the atmosphere, it's going to increase temperatures by this much, and it'll predictedly it'll predict this many heat deaths, and mm -hmm. so you can make predictions like that at the very least. So, therefore, making decisions which allow loads of carbon to go into the atmosphere means that you're guilty of homicide or crimes against humanity. Um, so they compiled the evidence and they took it to the Metropolitan Police and they refused to investigate it. And then Jonathan Fuller has done some great work where he's doggedly um, followed up the police, the Metropolitan Police over many years, saying like, why are you not investigating this? And he's finally got them to admit, um, with the help of some lawyers, I think, that they had no lawful reason to not investigate this. Um, it's clearly just politically motivated. Like they don't want to put politicians on trial for crimes yeah, against humanity. Let's, but let's do that. I suppose the, the entire system is there to protect the interests of the powerful, but there is no lawful reason why they shouldn't. And there's some very interesting things happening in climate litigation. Like, did you hear about the Montana ruling where those young people sued or I don't know if they sued, but they took the state of Montana to court because they were failing to protect their futures and their environment because the state of Montana was investing a lot of money or allowing like a lot of fossil fuels to happen. So therefore it was damaging those young people's futures and their right to a clean and healthy environment. But the judge ruled in their favor. So the the more kind of the more that the law begins to criminalize um sort of those who are enabling climate breakdown, the more likely we are, I think, both to see high carbon activities stopping and um those who are responsible for causing climate breakdown to face justice. I mean, I think the the richest people, like the people who profited most from it, you know, like the the shareholders of um, fossil fuel companies have got the most money out of it their money should be taken and used to repair the damages that they've done like all you know all the billions that like shell and bp have been making from the cost of living crisis with the energy bills going up like that money should be used to help build rebuild hawaii or roads or you know um as well as like helping yeah and helping people like insulate their homes and things but they said it's just going to make rich people richer and they'll, they'll just end up investing the money back into fossil fuels and probably spending it on private jets and yachts and other high carbon activities and end up killing more people so yeah i, I think there's traction in um i think there's a possibility in trying to push for this stuff now um like climate criminals facing justice yeah, there's one line that really stuck out to me when you said, I wanted you, I wanted you to say it again, but I didn't want to stop you from talking because you were just as this gold coming out. Um, uh, charging politicians with crimes against humanity. The police don't want to charge politicians with crimes against humanity. 
Yeah, basically, that's what Jonathan Fuller's so work someone, has revealed. Someone should have that on a sign, like like a big ass banner. The police do not want to charge the government with crimes against humanity. The UK government. Yeah, well, I think um, I think yeah, people want to. Well, this was only a recent development with Jonathan Fuller's, but I think there's a lot of people like in the climate movement who want to try and like amplify his work because it's it's pretty like groundbreaking like we need more people to know that the police are we're basically obstructing the course of justice like for political reasons they do not want to investigate whether they're not even going to investigate whether like the politicians are guilty of crimes well, against it's humanity because, it's because that there is people in the police force very high up in the police force that have a a very cushy relationship uh, would make they probably benefit financially from this friendship with people in charge and the like things are where they are and if that stops they'll you know they'll lose all their nice little you know whatever's going on do you know what i mean they're probably, yeah. probably probably taking bribes to be honest but like it's probably more in the form of like shares in this company and lucrative job offers and stuff like that like like it, i say this to people in the building trade um, you know, imagine imagine you're a politician. You get to the prime minister for five years, and I'm an oil company. I come up to you and say, "You're right, mate. Um, sort us out this deal, all right?" And what will happen is, when you when you leave as the prime minister, you'll get a job with with our company. You'll make a million pounds a year. Your kids will get jobs making like a million pounds a year, starting like tomorrow if you want. They won't have to do anything, but whatever. And we'll just sort you out for the rest of your life. Just vote on this certain legislation for us please and yeah. companies that make billions and billions and billions a few million pound a year to one politician and his family is not very much no it isn't and it's frustrating because this stuff um like all is like it, it's not even a conspiracy like it's happening in plain sight you know like yeah. we know that the conservatives received like 3.5 million in funding last year from polluting organizations and we know that that previous environment secretary secretary had like thousands of pounds of shares in a shell we know that like rishi sunak's um wife's family business like made deals with i think it was bp and then yeah or maybe they did i don't know it's bp or shell i'd have to i'd have the notes in front of me but they made a deal with the fossil fuel industry and then he licenses all those it's like it's not even secret we know that they have tons of like uh, meetings with fossil fuel lobbyists um like the corruption like it's there in the news all the time like it's evidenced in the electoral records or when politicians are forced to declare things if you go around looking in company house um yeah company records like it's it's all there and it just frustrates me that there's like this thing in plain sight and yet you have people going on about like like just crazy conspiracy theories <laughs> like that yeah like that like on when there's a real conspiracy happening right now which is like big oil is not allowing climate action to happen so they can protect their profits and they basically bought out politics so they can protect their interests and that's why like they're allowing billions of lives to be put at risk um and it i just yeah it, it baffles me that more people aren't outraged over this um and like it just isn't more of a story but then i guess we know why because the press mm -hmm. is also 
like a lot of the press has interest in fossil fuels as well. You yeah, know, like Rupert well, Murdoch is on like the board of Shell, not Shell, um, oil, no, GD oil and gas or something. Uh, so yeah. It's owned by the same people, in my opinion. Yeah, it's just so many things are wrapped up in fossil fuel interests and, well, not just fossil fuels either, like mining, um, I know the construction industry, sorry, Josh, not all yeah, construction, not structures. Um, I want to uh, retrain. Yeah, the agricultural industry. I mean, construction shouldn't be a bad thing. Like, we still need to build houses and have heat pumps and renewable energy and you know, sustainable transport infrastructure. Like, but it's. Um... I, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question, right? I am trying to change the world with a podcast. What do you think? <laughs> do you, do you, <laughs> like, um... sorry, that's a bit of a. Bit of, bit of a tangent right there but uh oh, it's, right. it's, what I'm, it's what i'm trying to do right now i'm trying to get influential and interesting people on here do you like i guess i'm kind of asking for your, your help your insight what well how do you think i could be doing things better for this show like have you because you said you've been listening to some of the shows on spotify last spot oh uh, yeah i guess um Yes, maybe you could do like shorter clips and because I think like if you want to reach a wider audience, I mean, I'm not an expert in this, I've but it seems like I've been doing them like... on YouTube. Oh, that's cool. Oh, you're already on it. But I'm there's also on... like TikTok, Instagram Reels. I'm on, I'm on, um... I'm on TikTok, I'm on YouTube, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter. Yeah. So um... I guess like doing shorter clips um, to try and draw people in. And I guess like what I see with all um, podcasts and production shows, I guess because I followed Navarra Media a bit, is like as they as they they grow and they they usually have a Patreon Patreon account or yeah. they get donations or something, they just level up in like what recording equipment they have. Maybe hire yeah. an editor. Um, well, so I, I've I've been the editor and the recorder and the interviewer. Yeah. So maybe at some point you might want to like. If you become really busy with stuff, you might want to like hire someone else to help out with stuff, and then yeah, I guess. But I'm looking for someone right now to help me organize my calendar of interviews because I, I'm like really struggling to keep track of all that. Oh, uh, um, Joe, you, know you could probably just do that with um, like sorry, I don't want to be really boring on your podcast and tell yes, you things like this. But um, yeah, if you get Google Calendar, you can. There's a thing on it where people can book appointments. So you could just share like an appointment link with people and just say like pick a time, and then it will only pick the time which is free in your calendar. Like mm. it won't cause any clashes. But get like it doesn't have to be Google Calendar. There's like other calendar apps out there. But like get a calendar app and then get something which is like a booking form. You could use Calendly or something, which is basically like you send people a form and then they can book a slot in your calendar and then yeah you can keep track of things really easily fair, and then to be fair i think i've actually i i am just fine it's just it's just i'm having to put a lot of effort in. like i use google calendar but i put it put it in manually so i'm like texting people messaging people like getting them to choose dates and times and doing all that stuff but yeah i get one of uh, those booking forms that'll save you some time i guess uh, I need to. I, I'm. I'm. I'm thinking about putting out like a volunteering role. Like a who wants to volunteer for absolutely nothing and help me with my podcast? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you could. Bites. You could. Um. Yeah. Yeah. You could see 
yeah see if anyone wants to do that or if you set up a patreon and you get like people sending mm. you donations you could hire a personal assistant or something <laughs> yeah. so now we've, we've i feel like we've moved on on how to like yeah how to be a capitalist <laughs> and how to and like giving you business advice and how to grow, grow your yeah. business to save the world well, but no it's not really capitalism because i don't think you have capital and it's not like you're exploiting a workforce or like extracting loads of resources and trying to make as much profit as possible to yeah I, I, I'm actually, I actually by storing videos on YouTube, I'm taking up server space within Google that is using addresses. So, oh yeah, it's so hard to, it. so hard to be perfect. I mean, even if you go off and live in a cave somewhere, like off grid, then you're not having any impact on society. Are you you're not getting your message out there? And also, like people probably say that you're privileged because you're able to go and live on a bit of land somewhere and also, live off grid you you you'd be breathing out cat you're also you're always breathing up carbon dioxide every day so you yeah can, you're a hypocrite for breathing so. <laughs> and you'd be eating food which yeah. you know like uses up land space and yeah it's um oh yeah the hypocrite argument is just really silly isn't it it's and i don't really know like what people are where people are coming from with that it's like they're like no i'd I'd rather suffer and die than be a hypocrite. Like I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep like using fossil fuels, and I'm not going to advocate for any change whatsoever because, oh, like, I yeah, had I, this I, argument today. I, I, it's literally, I literally had this argument today, and I, I've heard it so many times. I've hypocrite lost one. I've lost count. Yeah. And, I, and I'm working today, and I'm bricklaying, and I'm using bricks and concrete that are made out of carbon dioxide. Because I need to fucking eat and live and make money and pay court fines. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I've got a fucking builder calling me a hypocrite. And I just kept I just kept saying to me, bro, your argument's weak and just carried on carried on working. And yeah. I, just, I couldn't even be bothered responding to his hypocrite, like trying to change it. I said your argument's weak. Well then a good one comeback I've heard to that is like I'd rather be a hypocrite than a cynic. <laughs> Because, like, no, they're basically like just that. being really cynical because, like, they're like, or if you can't, they're, they're kind of like, if you can't be absolutely 100% perfect, and there's no point even trying, and there's no point speaking out, and there's no point trying to improve anything because you're part of the system. Mm -hmm. So you may as well just lie down and accept it and die quietly as long as you're not a hypocrite. It's like, it's a crazy argument. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's well, not really an argument. It's just like we're oh. gonna do that. This is why we're gonna do it because that idea that you just said right there is gonna spread, spreading through minds, uh, I believe. And we we need to build a community of civil resistance, a large community of civil resistance, and we need we're gonna need financial infrastructures to like help out people who are getting fucked by injunctions because that's just a weapon that's being used against us. So I don't even know how we'd do that. Like maybe even from donations and maybe we could, maybe we could play the capitalist game ourselves and produce some eco-friendly products to fund <laughs> an eco campaign against the government. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, I feel like oh, I've going... Got, I've got the answer. Sorry, I really shouldn't say this actually. Um, no, I, I can't say that online. 
I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll say I'll cut it out a little bit. But basically, foreign powers may sometimes want a their enemy to become weaker and more destabilized, and they will fund groups that are actively working towards the demise of their country's government. So foreign mm. foreign investment. My tags are great, and I need to charge it. Um, um, it's gonna pause there for a sec. Are you? Are you? How you doing? You okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Uh, can you give me give me two seconds. Don't don't pause your recording. Keep going. I'm just gonna go by okay, charging. Okay, no worries. Thank you, Emma. Yeah, all good. We've got about, plugged I've in got, now. I've got about um, 10 minutes of memory left, by the way. Oh, okay, that's cool. Uh, and then we'll have to call it. But um, I'm enjoying just yeah. kind of like hanging out with you in a way. Like, we don't have to have a, like a narrative or anything or a script or whatever. Yeah, I like that we deviated, how we deviated from injunctions. I mean, I did say that they're quite boring. I kind of said all there is to say about injunctions. Well, unless uh, like... You want to hear like the boring stories behind each injunction but there's i think there's the most exciting injunction story is probably like the the warwickshire one and the highway nine who like mm. broke that injunction and yeah though oh yeah i forgot to say i'm facing like injunction break proceedings for the gantry climbing so oh. i i got tried to climb a gantry back in november the police caught me before i got to the top because i went out on the last day I went to prison for six weeks just for wow. just for trying to climb a gantry. And then I came out and I was on tag for a few months. Um, so I've accumulated a fair bit of custody time um, for just trying to cause a traffic jam. And then um, and now National Highways, um, because they took out this injunction to not climb gantries, is now coming after pretty much all the gantry climbers to get them for an injunction break as well where we could potentially go to prison and have a massive fine um uh but all the custody time that we built up for our criminal cases like that's not applicable because they count as like two different things and yeah apparently oh. national highways is like deciding to do this because the they're not happy with how long the criminal cases are taking so like my trial like i got charged with public nuisance for trying to climb a gantry and hang a banner and um cause a traffic jam um but that trial is in like september 2024 and national highways doesn't like that these are taking so long so they want to pursue us in the civil courts to punish us faster but the national highways is basically like a government organization and the cps and the courts are also like parts of the government so the government has just paid national highways like probably hundreds of thousands to buy a private law to and then to go after us in the civil courts but but the government the reason our other court cases are taking so long is because the criminal court system is quite underfunded like the government's neglected it so it doesn't really make sense that the government's even done this and then they brought in this new police and crime sentencing bill it doesn't make sense because um, they're mean, being they, malicious. <laughs> yeah, it, really, it makes perfect sense. They want, they want to, yeah. they want to fuck us basically. They want to fuck us all and, and twice and charge us twice. Yeah, yeah. They want to suppress us and destroy us. 
Yeah, I think the gantry action really embarrassed the government because, like, the the Sun did that expose where they said that you know, they they infiltrated a Zoom call and they knew the gantry thing was going to happen, even though Just Apoyle wrote to the government the day before and said, like, we're going to do this gantry thing. Um, do you want to stop licensing oil and gas? And the government said no, and then it went ahead anyway for four days. Um, so I think the government and the authorities were just really, really angry that they weren't able to stop just stop oil, and we just really embarrassed the government. Then that's why, like, so many people got imprisoned for their their gantries as well. They can't um, stop us. <laughs> Say that again. yeah, Say that again. they The can't government stop can't us. stop just the file. No, they can't, and they they couldn't, and they can't, and that's um. So yeah, they're just being vindictive. Um, which is why they're coming after us in the criminal and civil courts for Let's keep I mean push. Let's keep pushing, because we're gonna we're gonna bury them in an avalanche of new people joining. <laughs> Like, there's gonna be so many new people joining, then they're not gonna be able to keep up. And they and before yeah they know it, they're gonna be. Well, before they know it, they're gonna lose control of the country. yeah I think Even if Just Up Oil wasn't around, I think they'd still be losing control of the country because they're just incompetent. But um, Oh, yeah. is it even? Oh, a battery needs charging, so I'm not going to plug it in. I was going to show this to you, and the podcast this is my tag, and this is how Ah, you charge it. This is a battery, you got. you plug onto it, All right. Ah, and now it's charging. so it's one of the GPS ones. I had one of the curfew ones. Um, I, I, I've not got one of the curfew ones, but because it's a GPS one, They're gonna keep. I, I, by the time I, I will spend eighteen months on this tag. This time I get it off. That's a that's a lot of custody time. No, it doesn't. Um, It's not. It's zero custody time because I don't really? have a. I don't have no curfew. Oh no! So, uh, so does that mean you're allowed out at certain times, but it's just I'm like not. you're not allowed into certain places? That's right. Yeah, I can't leave. I can't go south of Manchester. I. Ah. I, I, I've, they've given me, I've got Manchester, Lancashire and South Yorkshire and I can't go anywhere else in the entire world and I'm not allowed to protest. Oh, that's really shit. The Or, the no or protest protest protest. thing is really bad. Like the no protest bail thing that they've been giving out to people. I know When quite I, a few people with when that. I, when I came out of prison for the first four months it was not to discuss protesting or take place I know. with any person or any organisation. Yeah, it's On top which of is on crazy. top of her not protesting. Cause um. Like, you know, the people who go on about free speech, like, Hmm. why are they when, like, you're being banned from talking about protest? Like, that's super authoritarian. Like, that's the kind of stuff, like, you hear about happening in, like, these faraway countries with, um, with dictators and stuff. It happened to me. It happened Yeah. to me. Yay. Fuck, I'm so fucked up. Honestly. I tell you what though, the day I got that removed, the word I got the word disgust removed from my bail conditions, this podcast was created. Like the next day, I was like, it's starting now. And I just had a phone, like screen recording, video calls, and that was that was it. That's good. I can't believe they, they put that on you. Like, were you tempted to break it just to see Oh. what would happen? Um I'll tell you about that um when we run out of memory in a few Um, minutes. okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um
Uh, so, okay, it's been really, it's been really lovely having you on. How have you? Uh, so, what how have you? Have you enjoyed this experience? On the... Yeah, it's been fun. I am. Um, I'm glad we didn't talk about injunctions the whole time because I don't. Like I said, there's not that much to say about them, which is super interesting. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I'm. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on and like discussing all having all the people on to discuss the you know the kind of stuff that activists um experience no i'm not super keen on using the word activist but whatever it's a word that's it. applicable it's yeah a, it's like um it's, i feel like it's very applicable like i don't know yeah. i mean I've, I've been i've been told not to use it but i've used it in my name in the name of the podcast because it just uh, it's, it's one of those things where it's like it's recognizable it's like i use the word protest a lot and i think like yeah we're supposed to use i would suppose the language which is encouraged by JSO is like civil resistance and ordering people which are supporting just a while because I can see why because there's like there are negative connotations with the word protest and activist because a lot of people feel like that's not me like I'm not an activist I'm not a protester I'm going to try to appeal to a broad range of people but regardless I it's sometimes just useful to have a label for things yeah, and ask... sorry for you this I'm terrible at it um, I want to ask, uh, what do you think about the ne uh, the name of Chosen? This activism uncensored. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty applicable because um, I guess you have people on who talk openly and honestly about their experiences. Um, yeah, it's a it's a shame that um, like the like there's so much negativity put out by the right wing press. Um, like with people who get involved with activism and protest and stuff, but that's all deliberate, isn't it? Because they they don't want us to. They don't want lots of people doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, they're trying to discourage it. So I, but... I want to tell you something, by the way. The number one podcast in the world uh, last year, when the, when they tried to get shut down, when the when the mainstream media tried to shut them down, they couldn't because that podcast host had. Uh, more daily viewers than the top six news organizations in America combined. CNN, wow. NNBC, all the big ones, the, the highest six news organizations added together daily viewership they were getting that per episode, which is 11 million views per episode. What podcast is that? Was it the Joe Rogan one? Or... Yes, it was, yeah. I, I wouldn't uh... want to use his name at first because it is not very popular amongst climate activists for some reason. But, oh. um, um i think he's a little bit right wing i think i listened to one of his podcasts once and had russell brand on and he's not like he's not super bad but i can see I why listened to i listened to like about a thousand hours of joe rogan really and i got to know right. i got when you listen to that many episodes of somebody's talking you get to know them very 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 well so do you I, think he's all right yeah he's he, one thing he, he says is I'm not left wing or right wing. I like good ideas. Okay. There are good ideas I know and bad that ideas. And good, he's a bit ideas. obsessed with DMT, isn't he? I know that's yeah, the thing. Yeah, can you blame him? Like, I don't know. <laughs> no, I just, I know that's a trope about him. Like, Joe Rogan likes to talk about, I don't know, like bodybuilding, DMT, I, and. and... <laughs> we're, we're, we're almost, I've got like 30 seconds left on my, my memory, but I'm just going to say this episode off. I've listened to Joe Rogan. I uh, I tried magic mushrooms in Amsterdam and um, it changed my life. Anyway, we're gonna get. I'm gonna lose my memory in about twenty seconds. So I'm gonna say 
it's been lovely having you on. Um, where can people find you on your social media? Um, I don't do social media. That's fine. Um, Let's, okay. <laughs> right. I like to keep myself private. But thank you so much, Josh. Thanks for all that you do. We are the tongue that speaks the truth. We are the song upon the wind. We are the courage to stand forth. We are the change that now begins. On this good green earth, we will take a stand with an open heart and a healing hand. With an open heart and a healing